After two years without an identity, Brandless announced earlier this month it would be shutting down its e-commerce site. Meanwhile, the coronavirus has many retailers on edge. And this just in, Amazon Go may soon have some competition. We've got the scoop and more. On today's episode, it's Monday, February 24th, and this is your Retail Rundown. Hi, everyone. Today, we're joined by Tony Donafrio. Tony is the CEO of TD Insights. He's a respected industry futurist, and he's a recognized global top 100 retail influencer. He is also our Rethink Retail Advisor. Tony, thanks for joining the show today. Pleasure to be with you. So there's three topics we're going over as usual. The first two are retailers. We're going to talk a little bit about Brandless and their announcement, 7-Eleven. And then we're going to touch a little bit on the coronavirus, which has everyone, especially retailers, very worried right now. So the first company, Brandless, it's no longer a brand. So this direct-to-consumer kitchen and pantry retailer announced this month that it is halting operations. And Brandless positioned itself as an affordable alternative to high-priced national brands like dry goods and health products primarily. And they were offering their products at around a $3 price point, or at least trying to for some time. And the announcement was on the company's website. It stated that the fiercely competitive direct-to-consumer market has proven unsustainable for their business model. So the company does seem hopeful to make a return in the future. They mentioned that there might be a new version of Brandless on the horizon, but for now it is halting operations. Tony, when you think about Brandless, what do you think went wrong? Do you think there's a potential for a comeback? And is there a potential just for brandless in the market space? Well, that's a good question. Uh, so to me, brandless was a brand. And today, really, you need to have a strong brand and really have a strong value proposition. I think the challenges that brandless was having is exactly how to position themselves. I, I'm reminded of the generic world that came up in the 70s and 80s when we were buying generic goods because of uh we were worried about cost, and typically those types of products thrive well in those time, types of economy. So mm. some of this may have been market timing. Some of it may have been approach. In other words, trying to focus on the digital and, and trying to focus on a brand list. But ultimately, to me, Blendress was a brand, and they just were struggling in terms of how to position themselves in the market. Mm-hmm. And I would add, I, I read through a TechCrunch article, and it sounded like there were a bit of maybe political issues that were going on. They had an investment in July 2018, an investment of $240 million into Brandless, which valued it at just over $500 million. And some speculated that that was maybe a bit too high. And the positioning, from my opinion, is, is just a bit like an oxymoron almost because they're saying they're generic, but they're trying to position themselves as a bit more premium. So well, I would agree. I would also add that losing money, continuously losing money is not something that the, the street is going to continuously tolerate. And so I do think at some point you got to be profitable. There was a study that came out from uh, Deloitte about a year or so ago that talked about you did not want to be someone in the middle. What I saw with Brandless is really they were trying to be in the middle. And by the middle, I mean, what the Deloitte study showed is that you had a strong brand, a premier brand, well-recognized. You had five years revenue growth of 81%. If you were a totally price-based focused, a la Walmart, a la TJ Maxx, you also had 37%. In my view, Brandless was in the middle of all that in the sense that, for example, many of the major retailers have house brands that would be on the low price 
outside of the house. And to me, they would struggle with a house brand versus being a premier bed. So being stuck in the middle is really the worst place to be in retail. Mm -hmm. And what's the point for someone to make that switch when you're so familiar with the brands you've been buying? And I know the direct-to-consumer play was a bit tricky, and I I know that the former COO of Walmart became CEO of Brandless for a short time, and that ended this last December, but his goal was to get more of their products into the brick-and-mortar stores, which I agree would have made a, a lot of sense, but apparently that didn't happen as well as they hoped. Yeah, it would have been challenging because how do you position it versus a store brand? If I'm a retailer, I'm going to push my store brand because mm-hmm. it's more profitable. So that's why, to me, they're stuck in the middle. The, the generic and being no brand is a brand, but timing it in terms of uh, economically probably wasn't the best timing because typically those brands do well when you're in a deep recession or recession. That's when people started looking at, at generic for lower cost. But they now have options because... If you look at retailers, they're spending a lot more money in terms of uh, developing and building their own store brands. And mm-hmm. some of the brands, you look at Costco, the Kirkland brand is extremely successful. I buy a lot of Kirkland branded products because they are high quality. Absolutely. Kirkland, Walmart's private label, all of these different brands. We have the good value. And then Walgreens also has theirs. So like you said, that might not have been the best route just because of the competition with the retailers in today's economic environment. So you, with the question you'd also ask, could they come back? They could come back, but ultimately they got to decide if they want to be a brand and then they need to build a following like every other brand and then make consumers passionate about what they're doing. But just mm-hmm. focusing on being brandless, I don't think it's a strategy for success in today where everybody's is getting more niche-oriented in terms of following brands that they're in love with. Sure, and you mentioned being in the middle, and I know we've had some guests on the show talked about the boring middle as it applies to retail and specifically even department stores, and it's just not a good place to be. Correct, correct. So the second topic we're going to jump into is 7-Eleven, so convenience stores. As Amazon is continuing to raise the bar for convenience expectations, 7-Eleven is looking to leap ahead as well. So they announced earlier this month they're piloting a cashierless concept at their headquarters in Irving, Texas. And they're currently operating for on-site employees, a 700-square-foot store in an unmanned retail space, and it offers beverages, snacks, groceries, over-the-counter medications, everything you would expect. And it's powered by a proprietary mix of algorithms and predictive technology, so they say, and that's enabling the store system to separate individual customers and their purchases from others in the store. And this innovation comes at the heels of others that they're testing, including a mobile checkout feature where customers can scan and pay with your your smartphone. So, Tony, do you think that convenience stores will have cashierless formats as the standard in the future? I do think that is the format that is actually best adapted. And really, all you need to do is look at what Amazon Go is trying to do with continuing to open their store. That is ultimately a convenience stores. You also need to look at China. China is actually ahead of Amazon Go. They actually have multi-hundreds of the bingo boxes open, which are mobile convenience stores that have a lot of technology inside that you use your smartphone to get in and do all your shopping and activity. And, and so I do think that format is ideal for this type of um, technology and evolution. There will be challenges that will need to be worked through in terms of how do you deal with uh, theft and how do you increase the security. But if you all you need to do is walk into an Amazon Go and look into the ceiling 
as to the amount of sensors of cameras and computer vision that's in there. And you see that there's a lot of technology now being applied where it makes it viable. Ultimately, I think it'll be a mix. I do think you'll end up with retailers that will do mobile, uh, allow consumers to shop themselves with a mobile device. Nike, for example, is in that space. You also will have much more intensive self-checkout application in stores. Walmart is a perfect example of that. They're tripling down on the number of self-checkout stations in the stores. And you're going to have the Amazon Go-type stores, such as the one that 7-Eleven is looking to open. I think they all have a fit in terms of really driving consumers to much more convenience and being able to check themselves out how they want to check themselves out. All good points. And I do want to ask from your opinion, so 7-Eleven saying that this is a proprietary approach that they're using to track the in-store checkout. Do you think that a lot of other convenience chains might take a different approach and purchase the technology from an outside vendor? So I think that's possible. I, I actually, uh, I have heard from other retailers that Amazon Go, for example, is shopping their technologies to other retailers and will actually like to adopt them. I do think all retailers are trying to find that strategic competitive advantage. How do we get ahead of everybody else? If they believe that they have something unique versus someone else and their first and though the sector is not developed, they're going to hang on to that type of technology as long as possible. But I, I do think you're going to have retailers doing their own thing, Hala 7-Eleven. You're also going to have retailers that will leverage somebody like an Amazon Go into smaller formats. And that'd be just another way for consumers to engage uh, with store brands. Mm -hmm. And how big of a threat is theft? Because this is technology, 7-Eleven, for the example we're covering is testing out their tech, and it seems like the items in a convenience store are so small. I mean, think of a Snickers bar. How does that work from the minute someone would potentially try to steal the Snickers bar to the technology notifying the employees? So uh, a lot of that is really based on the amount of computer vision that's applied or sensors are applied. Again, all you need to do is look up into the ceiling and go into an Amazon Go and look up you see there's a tremendous amount of technology. The other way to handle that is store layout, making it sure that there's clear visibility from the computer vision to where the actual product itself and it's moving across. And then there's a lot of uh, background analytics, big data that goes on just to assess what types of transactions. So for example, if you went into an Amazon Go, you wouldn't get it immediately as you're walking out the door. It would take a few minutes until it's analyzed exactly what you've done what you bought, what you put back. There are challenges that are still being worked through. Uh, for example, I have heard that if you pick up product in one area and put it down in another area, sometimes that's a challenge. So to me, it's an emerging technology. It, the computers are getting much better at the edge to analyze what's happening. I recently wrote a blog that talked about how the camera is becoming an extremely powerful sensor to analyze what's happening inside of the store. And, and that, to me, that trend will continue and it will get applied into exactly these types of formats because I think it's ultimately a balance on how you leverage technology to get you to a competitive advantage. And for 7-Eleven, this is actually a good strategy. And would you say in the short term, they're losing money because it's in the future, they might save money by having less employees staffed perhaps, but the investment in the cameras and the computer vision and the analytics and the data, it just seems, and the potential theft that could happen until the technology reaches a 
more mature state? Yeah, ultimately it's a balance. I do think you're going to look at cost and you're going to balance it to cost, but you're also going to look to deploy some of those resources and make them, for example, in a Walmart, make those more readily available inside the store itself. So Walmart is testing a concept called Checkout with Me, where there's where they're roaming with iPads or iPhone type self-checkout devices and helping a consumer check out in the aisle. So there are ways to redeploy some of the associates with the consumer because ultimately, to me, the best redeployment of associates is to actually create brand ambassadors and mm-hmm. they have their technology enabled and then to have a conversation with a consumer. So I do think there will be some cost cutting, but there will also be some redeployment. That makes a lot of sense. And we see that in some other stores like Sephora I've talked about before, which I love. So they do it well. Our last topic, and we can't escape this, we have to go over it, is the coronavirus. The death toll just reached over 2,000 at the time of this recording, and it continues to wreak havoc across China, particularly for retail. They're concerned because the impact the virus will have on business. Last week, the owner of Gucci, uh, Caring SA, closed half of its stores in mainland China and the locations that are still open have reduced hours right now. Meanwhile, the shares of Apple went down 1.8% last week after the company announced it did not expect to meet its quarterly goals due to the impact the virus had on sales. The last one, Tapestry, also acknowledged it could be seeing a loss of up to $250 million for the fiscal year. Other brands like Canada Goose worry that a decrease in tourism from Chinese to North America will have a negative impact on sales too. So there's a lot of worry around this. Tony, how should retailers be preparing? Is there anything they can do to negate the impact of the potential losses that are being brought on by this outbreak? So first of all, what is happening is terrible in terms of the, the cost both to the human uh, and, and then actually to the economies that are going on. And you really need to look at the answer on multiple layers. Uh, if you look in China, where they're more dramatically impacted. That is one of the world's largest economies. In terms of retail, they were expected to surpass and become the world's largest economy in 2019, but it was delayed in the 20 because of the tariffs, and now will probably get delayed even more because of coronavirus. So it's an extremely important economy to a lot of global brands that is struggling. So the answer is depends on where you're at in different parts of the world. If you're in actually have operations in China, the key right now is to over-communicate and to actually let everyone know exactly where you stand, really create a lot of empathy messages to make sure that you express concerns for the population. Act quickly, for example, uh, both Apple and Starbucks close half of their stores in China and proactively focus on helping out. So JD.com, which is an online platform in Asia shipped a million masks to help again in terms of uh, the, the country get through it. So if you're mm-hmm. in China, is figuring out how to actually help in terms of uh, addressing the, the issue that is happening around them. If you're in other parts of the world, you have issues with supply chains and how do you deal with supply chain? Uh, the data that I saw, there's like 51,000 companies, 163 of which are in the top 1,000 Fortune 1000, they're in the actual zone where all this, uh, the majority of the cases are going on. So how do you diversify? How do you change? Uh, how do you actually get your product to store? So NRF is already projecting that for February, the imports will be down 13%. 
So companies like the iPhone, for example, Apple, they're already projecting that they're going to struggle because the majority of the manufacturing for those devices are in China. So adjusting to the supply chain is very, very important for other parts of the world and also being cautious in terms of uh, monitoring the situation and being ready with a plan B should that virus spread a lot more aggressively outside of China as it has started to happen in other countries around the world. Mm-hmm. 50 million people are in quarantine, and that, that's an amazing way. You basically are shutting down entire cities and think about the impact of that to things like retail sales. Hong Kong, which was dealing with issues of uh, protest, now is dealing with issues of coronavirus. Their retail sales are de- with the very important lunar year, lunar new year that just happened in February, were down 30%. 30, wow. 30%. The other big challenge for the world is that the China consumer is a big buyer of specialty apparel and luxury brands. Roughly 40% of the luxury goods are bought by China consumers, as well as apparel being a very large market. Those consumers are not directly buying, and that's exactly why you said earlier in terms of what Gucci and others are doing. So there's a dramatic impact to a lot of major retailers worldwide the longer this drags on. Absolutely. Well, we hope it turns around. Um, this is, you know, it's a somber topic. It's not good. I, I think you're right. I think retailers have a second responsibility, if not the primary responsibility of, of helping. Um, you gave the example of JD.com donating a lot of masks. And you talked about one other, um, before we started the show, you talked about... Um, well, the other ways that you see other innovative company innovation kicking in. So, for example, uh, Alibaba is actually yes. providing, has developed a software solution using computer vision to identify whether you actually have a fever. You also see now in China a lot of robots being deployed that are basically disinfecting. They're doing street patrols, they're delivering food. If you look at actually there's some videos online in terms of how people are adjusting. So, for example, I saw one approach where they have the sanitary toothpick board in an elevator. When you want to get into an elevator, you don't want to touch the button. You basically take one of the toothpicks, you push the button, and you throw it away. That's wow. one example. Another example is when you do a home delivery, you don't want to go meet the person delivering because he could be a carrier. So someone was popping the trunk from his window and the goods were being delivered to the car trunk, and you will go pick it up later. So there's different ways people are adjusting to to this issue, and technology companies are actually helping. And that was interesting to me, since what Alibaba and the whole robotics uh, impact in terms of uh, stepping up to address some of the issues. Mm-hmm. Stepping up and, and innovating to help this is amazing examples that you provided. And you have so much insight, as always, Tony. I heard that you'll be presenting soon at multiple conferences. So thanks actually, again for joining us. One of the them show. is at the 7 Eleven headquarters. Oh, wow. I'm actually <laughs> looking forward to going to see that store. Excellent. The one in March is at the 7 Eleven headquarters. So I'm actually looking forward to that. Yeah, a bit serendipitous. Cool. Well, that will be exciting. I'm, I look forward to hearing your thoughts on it and how it compares to the Amazon Go store. Excellent. Well, as always, a pleasure talking to you. Yes, thanks for joining. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. That's this week's Retail Rundown. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. That's rethink.industries slash podcast guest. 
Follow us on Twitter at Rethink underscore Retail and show us some love by subscribing, reviewing on iTunes podcast app. Until next time.